A large cloud provider has high volumes of network traffic moving through data centers throughout the world. These providers manage the infrastructure for thousands of companies, across racks and racks of multi-tenant servers and cables that stretch underseas, connecting network packets with their destinations. Google Cloud Platform has grown steadily into a wide range of products, including database services, machine learning, and containerization. Scaling a cloud provider requires both technical expertise and skillful management. Lakshmi Sharma is the Director of Product Management for Networking at Google Cloud Platform, and she joins the show to discuss the engineering challenges of building a large-scale cloud provider, including reliability, programmability, and how to direct a large, hierarchical team. As always, we're looking for show ideas and topics and guests for upcoming shows. If you have ideas, send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. We're always looking for important topics to cover in the world of software. Lakshmi Sharma, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. You work at Google Cloud on the networking team. Describe the modern networking challenges of high-volume data center infrastructure. So the challenges that we see in data centers, so I'll put them in like two categories. One is like a cloud provider themselves managing their own applications and services, right? Because you do want to continue to put your own services into the same cloud infrastructure or data center infrastructure. And then also like you're bringing enterprise customers over to cloud. So from data management perspective, the biggest challenge that I would see is that the is how do I manage my data, right? And as a customer, as an enterprise customer, how do I manage my data? And what data to retain, what data to throw off? And then do I, how do I intelligently make decisions managing that data? And also there are compliance-related questions. And then as a cloud provider, I want to make sure that the data that I have to manage my infrastructure on which enterprise customers are coming, how do I continue to use that usage of uh, large customers themselves where I can only have access to how much of the infrastructure they are using so that I can do right capacity planning. I can build build infrastructure in the places where I might, may not have been. So getting that insight from the usage of the enterprise customers, so that is what as a cloud provider I would like to continue to build upon. But as an enterprise customer coming to my data centers and coming to my cloud, how do I give them the tools and how do I give them the capability so that they can make the right decisions about what kind of data do they retain, including the compliance and other aspects of risk and governance aspects of how they manage the data, as well as give them intelligence about the data so that they can make right decisions about what services to choose, what locations to choose, and all of that. It's always been hard to build networking infrastructure for a company that is running a high volume of servers and that Google has been doing that for a long time. But since Google has become a large cloud provider, you have to think about networking in a whole new way. You have to develop products that not only are offering the right level of networking infrastructure quality but you also have to give this level of control and programmability into the network. So you have to give the remote developer programmable interfaces into the networking infrastructure that might have previously been just handled by internal Google engineers. 
How do you determine what aspects of networking infrastructure to expose to a remote operator? So that's an excellent point, and I will answer that in two ways. So one category from enterprise perspective is one is their own operators, let's say administrators and operators, the folks that are network administrators, the folks that are security ops people. So that's one category of folks that we are building products for. And those people are, their job is to make sure that network is always up. Instead of just the network infrastructure on-prem, now you're thinking about the connectivity to the cloud. Now you're thinking about how you design a new virtual network and the services around it, including security and firewall. So giving the capabilities and APIs and the manage self-serve managed infrastructure to manage these networking services, security services is one aspect of it, right? So that's kind of one categories of services that we offer. And the second we are talking about that, the developers themselves, right? So how are the developers who are using these network services, the network infrastructure, and in this hybrid environment, right? So, and who are doing a migration, they're migrating from on-prem to cloud, and how do we give them that abstracted view of this infrastructure, which is again, underneath it, we are talking about VPC, we are talking about firewall, on-prem and in cloud. So how do we make it easy now for those developers and for those administrators at the same time so that they give an abstracted view of the services. And what does abstraction means? Taking an example, if an enterprise is doing a VM to VM migration or VM to, let's say, container migration, so we have tools like, say, Anthos for Migrate. We have tools like Migrate for GCE, which is coming from, like, you know, the acquisition Google did some, you know, some time back, which was at Velostrata. And there is other acquisition that we did, for example, Cloud Simple. So if you put these kinds of products in place, then what we hear from customers is that, I have this specific way of designing, right? My DMZ, which includes DPI, which includes packet mirroring, which includes firewall, which includes IPsec VPN connectivity. I have certain way of designing my on-prem infrastructure, but that is becoming a bottleneck to my developers. Why? Because in cloud, the same kind of DMZ does not exist. And if it were to, and let's say if they were to bring the virtual instances of this as-is DMZ from on-prem to cloud, they would be using methods of approval of API access and the cloud resources access, which would not be comfortable or which would not be easy for their developers to use. For example, they may be using a jump host to come to the cloud. So that means somebody in the security ops on-prem need to open up a port to go to the cloud for every single API that they use. And the team that is doing the VM management, the team that is doing container management, they all may be different teams. And what we know is that people like who are doing transformation, sometimes they build an organization called cloud organization or cloud platform organization, while there are still other organizations like network organization, you know, CICD organizations. So what we want to do as part of our hybrid enablement of the infrastructure is that how do we give you a consolidated view of the configurations that work on both the sites? When I say configuration, I'm still talking about firewall services. I'm still talking about load balancing services. So our goal is that how do we build a common view of these load balancer across? How do we give you API so that they can work with your on-prem environment as well as like, you know, in the cloud, but also make it easy for you to migrate that. And how do we make it easy to migrate? If you have a firewall policy, let's say 
you're using VMware, for example, on-prem. And then you have certain way of introducing security policies using NSX and any third party sitting on top. Now, when you're migrating those same set of VMs over to, over to cloud, then the firewall policies in cloud are not similar. So if we could translate those policies for you in an automated manner and present to you while you're migrating, detect your application to application relationship and use that also to add this recommendation that we are providing, it makes customers' lives very easy. So we are kind of you know, going multiple ways. We are, as I described that, we are looking at what do we offer to network operators? What do we offer to application owners? And then how do we make it easy also to the cloud teams who are given the charter of migrating? Can you take me through the design and development of a networking product that you worked on recently? Yeah, I would love to. So the recently at London Next, we launched a product called Network Intelligence Center. And that ties into a lot of things that I just talked about. So Network Intelligence Center helps you leverage your logs, your metrics, and the services that you're using. It looks at all of them. It looks at your network capabilities and the configurations. And it takes you from, let's say, the reactive way of operating and managing your network and services to a proactive and intelligent way of managing and operating your network infrastructure and services. So as part of the product, we launched three products, tools, let's say, as part of the product category, we launched three products. And those products are network topology graph. Uh, One product is called connectivity test and one product is called firewall intelligence. So the way it helps, the way the product is used today, if when you're migrating, when you're in a hybrid environment and you're migrating applications, so you have different ways of configuring as I described, like your cloud-based connectivity is very different from how you have connected like things within on-prem. So when customers come to cloud, they think cloud is a black box. Oh, cloud providers don't give access. You know, they just describe firewall in a certain way. They talk about network function virtualization, talk about SDN. Oh, they have made it so complicated. Our customers used to think like they have made it so complicated. They have made it black box. And I don't understand how my services are even connected. They had no comfort level in adding more and more network capabilities because they could not trace the services and they could not understand the network at all. And especially in case of network-related issues, and typically even if an application not working right, people always blame network. You know, that's a very common you know, issue that we hear. So if network is to be blamed all the time, then how do we make it easy for customers to troubleshoot that network and have very clear guidance on where in the network or where in the cloud network or in the hybrid connectivity, where exactly the problem lies. So there are two things we introduce. One is that network topology graph. So if we give you a visualization of how your services are connected, right? How your, say, VPN coming from on-prem to cloud and then that going on to going through a public IP, private IP, then it is going through a load balancer, then it goes through an ingress firewall. All of these things were happening in software. There are no kind of boxes, you know, doing this work. But if we could represent that in a manner which looks like boxes connecting to each other or circles connecting to each other, similar to how these, you know, enterprise customers have been used to looking at them on-prem, 
So then it gives them so much comfort to understand where the bottlenecks are and because they can understand it in the same way as they could understand it on-prem. So this product, Network Topology Graph, gives you very good visualization of your services, how they're connected in cloud, all the way from visualization into where your services are deployed, which regions are they deployed, how different regions are connected, how your VMs are connected, what is the bandwidth utilization, what is the latency between your different instance types. So it gives you all. So once you have that visibility, then it can, and then still you, you believe that your connectivity is right and everything is great, but then you're still seeing a problem in connectivity. Let's say you cannot offer GCS bucket or your one EM VM in one region cannot access VM in another region, or maybe your on-prem instances are, you know, or pods are not able to access pods in the cloud. So then we have a tool called connectivity test, which is very simple to use. And what you do is that give this to this tool is that two endpoints. Endpoints could be IP addresses and port number port. Endpoints could be instance names. So then basically you provide that information and then you run the test and the tool will exactly point you to where the problem is, where your traffic is blocked because the tool basically does reachability test. So these are sort of some of the things that we have brought in. And the third aspect of it is intelligence. So let's say everything is working fine and now you want to continue to add your firewall rules. You continue to add more load balancer you know, policies, backend policies, and over a time, your configuration becomes so unmanageable that you're even afraid to actually touch which firewall rule to take away. And then you know that managing firewall rules and also keeping them under compliance is a huge kind of security requirement for customers. So then if we could give you a tool where we can exactly tell you these are the firewall rules which are being matched with your traffic over time, and there are these others who are always shadowed or give you a recommended configuration of how you can optimize, let's say, your 1,000 rules to 100 rules, and we guarantee that there would not be any impact on your reachability. And you could, in fact, use that report to go back to your compliance team and say, hey, it actually still complies. So this has made our security operators' life very easy. And compliance teams from enterprise customers, they really love these kinds of tools where we can give them a config log or a trail uh, with this optimized configuration so that they do not have to worry about going through line-by-line line management and as well as getting approval from the compliance. So there are a lot of these things we have done. These three products have already come and there are more coming under the same suite. I'd like to understand a little bit more about how networking has changed in recent years, I guess, with, well, for example, a move towards containers. So the increased popularity of containers. Does that create any networking challenges that are significantly different from VM-based infrastructure? Just as an example, if we compare networking infrastructure where it's mostly just people spinning up applications on VMs versus applications hosted on containers, how does that create different networking challenges? Mm -hmm. So if you were to ask me this question like two years ago, I would say there were a lot of challenges. So I will address this in two ways. So one is that how generally people perceive it and what Google has done. So two years ago, like when we started, you know, on this journey of GKE, which is our managed Kubernetes infrastructure. So we decided that Google will be a container, say container native company, right? For enterprise customers, while our infrastructure is already container native. So what we have done is that since then, every product that we build, whether it's load balancer, firewall, NAT, public IP, private IP, we build it for both containers as well as 
compute our VMs at the same time. So an example, if we are building a load balancer, the same load balancer that we use to load balance to VMs would be used as an ingress for a GKE pod, right? So if the same policies that we are using for firewall for in compute are utilized in the GKE or you know GKE environment. So from that aspect, we have evolved and we are very mature in terms of our understanding and the implementation for managed container or managed Kubernetes or say GKE. So from that aspect, I said from just from a Google perspective, we are pretty mature in our integration because we have learned very early on as we decided that any product that we build. Another example is like say Cloud Armor, another example is CDN, another example is Cloud DNS. So Cloud DNS is another one we are you know at this time natively integrating. So yes, there were challenges and we learned about them very early on in um, you know integration with GKE. And that's what I would say that we are at par in terms of every product that we have built in offering to containers as well as to VMs. So, but yes, there are a lot of known challenges in outside world. If you were to bring in these, you know, open source environment for Kubernetes outside managed infrastructure that we offer, you would run into a lot of plugin challenges, CNI challenges. How do you distribute load, you know, in instances within a pod versus like, you know, across the pod. So there would be all kinds of challenges that you will hit into. Let's say I'm a company that is entirely in the cloud. Let's say I've I started my company entirely in the cloud. I'm doubling every year. More and more people are using my product. I'm scaling. How is my network going to look different over time? And what kinds of networking challenges am I going to encounter as I scale? Hmm. As a company who is growing in cloud, so if you have not, a couple of things which will happen. So how did you plan your, say, demand for IP addresses. So that's typically we see quite often, right? So people like who come from, if you're a client native versus, let's say, a legacy enterprise. So I'm taking, you know, I'm this one, address this question I'm addressing as if you were asking for the legacy enterprise or not legacy enterprise or legacy applications coming to cloud versus cloud native because cloud native companies, we see that they have evolved with us because Google has been like, you know, the first choice for cloud native companies for years. So we really have done very well learning from them, you know, building them and scaling them. So I believe that for cloud native, we have these similar challenges may not apply, although some of them. So IP addressing is the scheme that we hear quite a bit, right? So customers might have used, large enterprises might have bought some public IP address pools, which they have been using. They might have used some email services where they had to expose um, IP address to a DNS mapping and a URL mapping outside their environment. And then how cloud providers do that mapping in the DNS or in their IP addressing scheme, uh, which regions do they map, what IP address to. So we see that IP address based mapping and questions quite a bit. So for those kinds of offerings, we introduce a product called Bring Your Own IP, where we try to help customers by saying, hey, if you already managed a block, which you had used in certain regions or certain part of the world, then you can bring that IP address with us and we will help you design. So that's one challenge we see. And the second one, we have seen that since cloud enables customers to do the things they could not do, right? So if you had to go like say from one region to another, it's just so easy, right? To burst your traffic, to test it out, and then you introduce your new service. 
So we have certain gaming customers, for example, they were only in Southern America. And then they are trying out in, let's say, Asia, completely different zone for them and territory for them. And they can do things that they had not even imagined, right? So then for those kinds of customers, helping them out with networking design, that what is the best networking design for them to access, for example, interregional resources? How do they manage their egress cost when they're going outside a region? How do they manage their load placement, which also requires understanding of what kind of instance types do you need across the regions, what are available? So those are the challenges I see. And in fact, some of them are good ones, right? Because you realize then that there is more potential to your business than what you could potentially manage before. And then, but with that comes these hidden things that you need to be aware of, right? How would you scale, replicate your data, for example? And then when you're replicating your data, are you aware of your data localization requirements? What kind of APIs would you use? How would you use identity? How would you use your, you know, as I said, like the IP addressing scheme, or how would you use the identities or geolocation understanding of what data should be mapped where? So these are the things which customers would not have thought before they end up thinking about when it comes to scaling, you know, their infrastructure or applications in cloud. How does Google decide where to open up new data center regions? So there are a lot of kind of factors involved. And to be honest, it's really a standardized process. So the way you look at it is that you look into area of services that you're offering in different parts of the region, right? So we look at the demands that are coming, that are coming from field, right? for our services and usage. And once we understand that, and then remember like one thing about Google is that we try to be, when we launch a service, we our goal is to launch that service in 100% of our regions almost at the same time. So that helps us get signals to where else do we want to add new services and where else our customers are coming from. So the second signal that we also look at Uh, The customers that we already have, for example, we continue to work with them and understand that where are other opportunities they have globally, right? So some customers, as I mentioned, like, you know, they may be only US-based customers, but they want to launch. i give you an example of gaming. They may only be offering gaming services in one part of the globe. So then we learn signals from our customers. We learn the usage of our services. And we, once we understand that, based on the usage and the requirements for the customers and the proximity of those customers, like these new customer demands, these new services, is how we choose our regions and you know, decide based on that. As your role, your director of product management, I think, on, for Google Cloud Networking? That's correct, yeah. Is it important for you to go to the new physical data centers, or is it sufficient for you to communicate with them remotely? You know, I would have loved to. <laughs> Coming from like my networking background, I always love to go to these data centers and pops. But no, for my work, like I'm on the cloud networking site, I don't have to go there and visit there. And also like Google's, even for ourselves, like internal employees, the guidelines and the security requirements to go to these places are pretty high. So unless and until like there is something crucial that somebody has to, we don't go for security reasons. And at the same time, my work does not require me because we are like completely SDN, completely software driven. We don't have to go. All right. Well, on the product development side, it's 2020. What are the hardest parts of building network infrastructure? What are you focused on right now? Hmm. I think the biggest challenge at this point is the data related 
regulations and asks that are coming from different parts of the world. So when we build Google's infrastructure and we build Google Cloud, we built services that could be accessible to every customer in any part of the world with almost same latency and absolutely same experience, right? Any service that Google has built, like whether it's Gmail, G Suite, or any other product that is sitting in cloud. So now in the enterprise world, you have enterprises, like say some European enterprise, who wants to do a backup. Now they will, they're asking for backups within the same country, for example. Same thing in Asia. They would like to keep their data, some countries would like to keep their data only inside. Whereas Google as a company that has been designed was to take care of your data in past, replicating data in as many regions and zones with as many copies as possible so that we give you very reliable, very resilient infrastructure. But these requirements which require now you to keep your data within the same country or within certain boundaries add add requirements uh, from a product side. We have to think about requirement in how all the way from identity to the country and uh, regions and zones, how you virtualize, how you copy, and all of that is networking and security in addition to how we build the infrastructure. So there are a lot of requirements and I would say pressure in how do we think about security and uh, data guidelines and in this new geopolitical scenarios. Do you think those concerns, the regulatory concerns, are they well-founded or does it feel like in a sense what you're doing there with that work is just, you know, sadly not effective and just kind of catering to the unfortunate regulations that have arisen? So it's both. In some cases, in some areas, they're clearly defined, to be honest. You can, um, you know, and then rules and regulations change, right? But we trust that in some cases, when our account teams and our partners, they are bringing those requirements, we trust them and uh, we do build it based on that. In some areas, when we learn directly that they are still being built, they are still being revised. So there are both the categories and we try to work towards both. Have machine learning workloads introduced new networking challenges for you? I would say actually it has really, really helped (laughs) with the products that I described like Network Intelligence Center and other intelligent products we are building. So machine learning has really helped a lot. So for folks like me, like who have been in network enterprise networking and networking security for all my life. So one of the things that is always challenging is always challenging for network folks is that the cost of managing infrastructure, the cost of managing appliances like firewall, IDS, IPS, and how do you replicate your data and how do you manage? There is a lot of cost involved in a lot of products that are used for managing your network, right? And building your network. So the cost and also the capacity, and there is a capacity involved with this. So with machine learning, if we can optimize the usage, we can make recommendations about what the right configuration would be for your set target OPEX, right? it can be so much valuable to network operators and networking teams. So they love, and they love to see where my costs are going in, let's say seven years, but at the same time, do I have right capacity to manage my applications? Do I have visibility also at the same time in what you're suggesting and what you're doing with my configurations? So giving the visibility, but at the same time, making sure that you are giving them right recommendations to optimize the network and infrastructure and while they can still operate at 
the same uh, availability and reliability is very key. And machine learning has helped us a lot with that in that space. And on the data collection side, so much of your work is looking at logs and telemetry to understand what could be improved across the infrastructure. What's the process for aggregating and collecting data across the networking infrastructure? And how do you figure out what to do with all that data? There are multiple levels at which we do and how we expose. And I will take examples of our products. So for any customers that they come in, we give them options to enable their logs, right? And we ask the customers when they want to enable, like what kind of logging do you want? So there are logs like VPC logs, and there are VPC flow logs, there are logs from firewall, there are logs from NAT. So we expose all different kinds of logs after customers give, go and click those options in our Pantheon UI or in through APIs. So customers have access to that logs, so they can aggregate those logs with options to by integrating third parties, right? There are a lot of CM companies that are companies like in network performance monitoring diagnostic space, like Simologic, and there are companies like Connect, you know, Kentic. So you can go and put those products and you know use them to aggregate that information. Splunk is another one of the products. So the, and which can give you insights through your logs. That's one way of doing it. Another way of doing and aggregating your logs is that you can use Stackdriver where we send all the logs with a lot of metadata, with a lot of telemetry information, and then you can create your custom views of those logs. And then you can understand how your infrastructure is doing. And then other thing that we are doing is that the product that I described is that through Network Intelligence Center, we can use passive monitoring through your infrastructure or through your cloud infrastructure we do active monitoring of your infrastructure. We, so we can do a data plane level, data plane level telemetry. And that we expose using this product that I described. So a network intelligence center, and then you use that telemetry to get your network topology information, latency information, packet loss, and whatnot. And then there is other aspect to it, so which is config-based modeling, what people call like intent-based networking. So our customers had been asking that, since we moved to cloud, I don't know, is this the right configuration that I have? Because on-prem, I had full control, I have full visibility, I had full team operating my configuration. And in cloud, it, you have reduced it to so many few lines. So I don't know whether this is the right configuration as I intended to be. And also over time, as I'm scaling, I'm adding more policies, I'm adding more routes, and I'm adding more regions and more services. So how do I know whether the configuration that I have is similar to what I intended? So then we have what we call config-based modeling. So we model the entire configuration and based on the current configuration of the customer and which includes their hybrid connectivity as well. And then we expose that config model to the customers. So there are multiple ways in which customers have a visibility into their logs, into their you know their data plane level telemetry information and through third parties and our own native tools. I'd like to talk through a case study. So when I think about all of these big enterprises that are adopting cloud and they're becoming hybrid cloud or maybe they're moving entirely to the cloud, I'd like to know what that experience is like. What is the migration process like? What kinds of issues do they encounter what is life like before and after a cloud migration for a big enterprise? Sure. 
So without naming a customer, I will talk about their journey. So this customer is a retail customer. They have migrated their applications in multiple waves. We use the word waves for how an enterprise will categorize the application that they want to migrate and with priority, something with a priority going upwards in the sense they first migrate, which are non-critical, not so much business impacting to something which is really keep the lights on for their business, right? So the first waves would be typically, I want to migrate my, say, catalog services, my catalog and item services. So then they migrate and then how people will search through that catalog and items. So let's say that is one set of service. And I'm taking some very simple example. Let's say those were VMs sitting on-prem and they want to migrate to VM sitting in the cloud. So we will talk about VM to VM migration scenario. In this scenario, what are the things that they will have to think about when it comes to networking? They will have to think about if this VM, what is the instance size? What is the connectivity that I need for cloud? Is it IPsec VPN? Do I need a very dedicated MPLS circuit? Do I need to go to my you know, managed service provider or network service provider, need to buy interconnect or whatnot. But among all of them, the most important thing for them is what is the reliability for that link, right? And if that link goes down for some reason, how do I reach out to this cloud provider? Who do I call? And how do I make sure that it comes up, right? Because it comes up in the time and the SLAs that I have given to my ops team. So there are SLAs involved for connectivity. There are SLOs involved for connectivity. In addition to connectivity, then your biggest, biggest thing that you have is DNS. Without DNS, you really cannot and you know reach any site. So then there are products that you will think about, like from cloud mapping perspective, customers will have to think about how they are configuring DNS on-prem, where are they putting the resolver, where they're putting forwarder. And then once you do that, all of that, then you would also think about like, where is my database of all these services, which means like some kind of registry, some kind of directory. Then they will have a product like, let's say, service directory. It's a product that we are just going beta. It is already in alpha, which will have an information about all kinds of endpoints, VMs or you know any kind of service load balancer endpoints into that registry or into the database so that you keep adding your you know catalog of services. What kind of challenges then come? So challenges would be, so you're migrating, you decided to go with three VPN links or one interconnect. And while migrating, you saw a surge in your access of the services and suddenly your pipe you know, was completely filled. And then you initially you thought this wave is going to take, let's say a day or two days. And now you, you don't even know why that surge happened, for example. And then second is that your link is down, your full connectivity is down. So instead of one or two days, it took you maybe seven days or eight days. So what are the challenges involved here and how would you fix it? So what our customers had been asking, so while I'm migrating, so during migration, can you give me a view of utilization of my current link? And can you suggest to me as this link utilization goes beyond a certain threshold, to send me a notification or alert so that I can create a new VPN tunnel or I can request a new connectivity. Customers typically who migrate, they ask this question all the time. So for which like, you know, we do have product and I mentioned the Network Intelligence Center with the connectivity would be able to help you. But what it cannot do, for example, today, but we are building is that how do you give an alert so that alert is also in an automated way setting up a tunnel for you. So it's like, you know, because when you're migrating and things don't happen, right, you don't know the utilization, right, then you can't really do things. 
Now the second aspect, you are used to accessing your services. Let's say you are already using some GCS, which is our storage service. You are using BigQuery, which is our data analytics service, and you are using them through public APIs. But now you have a private set of services in cloud, which are on VPC. You're using RFC 1918 space, but now your challenge is that how do I go from my private space to this public IP address? So for that, then you would like to create a similar private boundary or for these services so that there is no exfiltration of data. There is no public access or user coming from a public IP address now getting into a private service space and exfiltrating information. So then we created a product like VPC Service Control, where you can create a perimeter of bunch of these services together. So you are BigQuery and GCS and Cloud SQL and then VN, you and your VMs, all of them together, so that you are 100% sure of not losing your data inadvertently to any user who's coming from. So security challenges, you know, design rela challenges related to that, and also, do I know whether I have enough, you know, my utilization at any point is going up and down? How do I map my DNS entry so that I'm not, uh, you know, losing access to any of the commerce or any of those services? So those are common set of challenges, I would say, that we hear and run into, especially for VM2 VM. And to be honest, they apply to VM2, like, you know, microservices environment too. And in fact, in case of microservices, if you're going from a monolithic application to microservices, the scale of the challenge becomes a little higher because now you have many containers, you're optimizing them to be running on one host or across host because of how you want to design your applications. So then you need to be more careful about your intrazone application design, your interregion design, all of that. How much of the product development for the networking team is driven by these interactions with large enterprise? Is it mostly like you have the correct solutions and you just need to get them correctly configured and deployed for a large enterprise? Or do particular customer use cases lead to the development of brand new products? I love this question. So now I would say that we now means like in 2020, we are enterprise ready. What that means, like almost all verticals, let's say, where we have prioritized or we work in, whether it is retail, healthcare, um, education, manufacturing, we can serve all of them for their most of the demand. Let's say any kind of demand today, any known demand today. So yes, we are ready. We can help them, and we are leader and you know leader, especially in like you know transformation with microservices, and also with the introduction of Anthos, we have brought in both our power of GCE, which is VM, and containers together in seamless manner. So absolutely. So, but then there are still new things that we learn all the time, right? So let me take an example of, let's say, manufacturing, right? You talk about, anytime people think about manufacturing or let's say construction, right? Construction companies. So these two industries and logistics, in my opinion, these three have disrupted over past three, four years a lot because of how cloud is evolving, because of how like retail is evolving. And while these verticals, and then automotive as well, right? While these verticals have transformed from their current model of serving their users to a completely new model, like how logistics happen and how automotives are and how drones are and how logistics, like, you know, people use all kinds of means of delivering, say, delivering uh, packages to home and other services, 
And in the case of manufacturing, people used to think only IoT is a, as the way of getting into manufacturing, but all these devices are being managed by somewhere, right? And a lot of them are coming to cloud. So we learn a lot from these new kinds of customers and new kinds of industries who are disrupting. And some of those things, I would say as Google, we are really best suited to play in because of our global reach, because of how distributed we are in terms of our application design, like our cloud networking design. Like we have Andromeda, we have Espresso. We are, I would say we are truly innovators and also implementers for enterprise-based applications for these globally distributed massive scale applications, which are either running parallel at the same time, or in many cases, they're cohesive set of services talking to each other. So yes, we learn and we continue to develop you know, and build more for serving them better. All right. Well, just one more question on management, because you direct product management for the networking team. And I just, I'd be very curious to understand your perspective on leadership. What's the most important lesson in leadership that you've learned in the last year? I'll speak because it's last year. I, I will only talk about my experience in Google Cloud. So in past one and a half year, I would say we have scaled our response to customers. So we were building products. We were building really awesome products prior to that. And we had a lot of customers, but we were in the cloud native leadership space. We supported, we were seen and perceived as company who was cloud native first, but we wanted to be both first enterprise and cloud native. So when you do that transformation, that transformation of what kind of customers are you addressing also changes, you know, your team dynamics also changes the people you bring in the team, right? Their experiences. And then having people like who can serve cloud native, and I'm talking about product management and product management leader. And in Google, a product manager is considered as the CEO of the product. So how a CEO of a cloud native company, right? Will think, let's say a very large gaming company (laughs) and will think versus how a CEO of a very large, you know, very established in hundreds of years, maybe there's, you know, that's the amount of time they have taken to be where they are today. When you're talking about these two sets of markets, then you need CEOs of the products and the product management leaders who can think like that, right? So I think from a leadership perspective, what I've realized is that what kind of people do you hire and how do you bring that knowledge together so that you can serve your customers the best way. And you do not look like two different organizations at all. You are going together, you're learning from each other, and you're serving your customers collectively, learning from experiences of each other. And how do you drive that? As a leader, how do you keep that, break those silos? How do you, you know, bring that knowledge to rest of the organization? Because we are the people like, you know, who can bring and converge those words for Google and its customers. So how we do that, how we evangelize that and bring those synergies is where I spend a lot of time. Lakshmi, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. 